Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Come and Reason Bible Study. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim Jennings. I want to apologize in advance. I've been fighting a uh, allergy slash sinus thing all week, so I'll probably break into a fit of uncontrolled coughing. Uh, but on the upside, it's made my voice lower, which one of my uh, friends pointed out this morning was exactly what I needed. <laughs> Let's start with a word of prayer first. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for yet another opportunity to come together and um, study, study your word. Uh, this We're beginning a new quarter. We're starting a study on Christ and his law. Uh, and we, we ask that you give us discernment to flesh out the differences between um, a natural law lens and a, an imposed law lens that has infected so much of Christianity today. Please continue to bless our group, uh, both corporately and individually, and uh, we ask for continued uh, wisdom and continued discernment and continued uh, revelations of your character through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like I said, we are beginning a new quarterly, so of course I am teaching. We have Tim and I have a tacit agreement that uh, whenever we begin a quarter, I'm it. He, he manages to be out of town for most of them. So we're beginning the study of Christ and his law. Let's begin with the introduction. Actually, let's begin with the title, Christ and his law. Uh, that, should already, that should already be triggering some thoughts in our heads about um, what sort of lens we're going to view this through and what sort of lens the author is viewing it through. And we should be asking for discernment in order to... Um, flesh out some of the differences between the two views. In the introduction, um, it starts out with a quote from the Great Controversy. It states that from the very beginning of the Great Controversy in Heaven, it has been Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God. Why? Because the law is the foundation of God's government. It expresses the moral integrity of the cosmos. This is the author speaking now. And to overthrow that law would be to overthrow the moral order of the creation itself. Morality, though, means the ability to choose right or wrong, good or evil, and the only way for the universe to be moral, to allow potential, the potential for good and evil, for right and wrong, would be to have a law, would be for it to have a law that defines them. Now, first thing I thought when I read that quote from Ellen White was, well, you tell me. What, what do you hear when you hear the idea that it has been Satan's purpose from the very beginning to overthrow the law of God? Well, what sort of assumptions can we make um, about Satan's view of the law of God? Truth against lies. Kathy? Um, that what Satan wants to do is destroy love in the hearts of all God's creation. Mm -hmm. And that would overthrow um, the law and the government and the morality, is destroy love. Okay. Um, I heard a comment over here that is changeable. Okay. Uh, that's the that's kind of the, what triggered in my mind is that and if it's changeable, what does that imply? It's arbitrary and imposed. I mean, how do you overthrow how do you overthrow the law of gravity, the law of respiration? Um, so it it makes me wonder if Satan, from the very beginning, 
and pre this is pre-creation now uh thought or um concluded erroneously that god's law was imposed on the inhabitants of heaven and the inhabitants of the other world um more from the uh introduction this is from Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, do not covet. Uh, again from the author. Our universe is moral because God created free, birth, free beings to be answerable to his law. If there were no law against coveting, there would be no sin of covetousness. Indeed, God created humans as creatures who can love. Love, though, can't exist without freedom, moral freedom. And moral freedom can't exist without law, moral law. Love rests on freedom, and freedom rests on law. Hence the topic of our study, this quarter, Christ and his law. Can moral freedom exist without law? Can moral freedom exist without imposed law? Sure. Why not? What what imposed law did the angels in heaven have? Were they morally free agents? Yes. In fact, they were so free that a third of them chose to rebel with Satan. And God didn't impose any law or any punishment on them. He removed them from heaven. <clears throat> Simply, and frankly, uh, I want to say that was for their benefit as well as the rest of the, the rest of heaven's benefit. Um, so the first thing, first thing I thought of was that, you know, Satan must assume that uh, God's law is imposed. The second thing I thought of was a reference that I couldn't remember the exact quote. I remember the gist of it, but I couldn't remember the exact quote. And thanks to Tim's photographic memory, I emailed him, and he uh, emailed it back to me. This is from the Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing, page 190. But in heaven, <clears throat> service is not rendered in the spirit of legality. Get your minds around that. Spirit, service is not rendered in the spirit of legality. When Satan rebelled against the law of Jehovah... The thought that there was a law came to the angels almost as an awakening to something unthought of. You guys with me so far? In their ministry, the angels are not as servants, but as sons. There is perfect unity between them and their creator. Obedience to them is no drudgery. Love for God makes their service a joy. So in every soul wherein Christ, the hope of glory, dwells, his words are re-echoed, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is written in my heart. Psalms 40, verses 8. Have you guys ever heard that quote before? If you've been coming to class uh, for a while, it has made uh, appearances here. But uh, I had forgotten about it until this introduction triggered it. The angels, when they were presented with the idea that God actually had a law, it was something that they they hadn't even considered before. It, now, is that might we conclude that that's the state that that God wants us to eventually get to? Yeah. 
ideally that, that that we are we are so we are in such harmony with his ways, his methods, his principles, and his will that the idea that he even has a law is is un, unthought of. Any thoughts? Don't you wonder sometimes if the word law is more our interpretation than his, that that's probably not the way he would have described it? You know what I mean? But it's, I think that's fair. You know, you know, human, you know, humans have imposed law as you know from as soon as governments were were you know instituted, and we're going to get into that a little bit later in, in uh, I think Tuesday's lesson. Um, you know, why 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 do we have imposed law in the first place? Uh, let's look at Sabbath's lesson. Again, you know, quoting from the lesson in New Testament times, a person could use a common word for the word, a common use the common word for law. Nomos in the Greek, Lex in Latin, and Torah in Hebrew. In doing so, he or she could mean one of many laws. Often, the only example of the exact law depends on what law we're talking about. Uh, so, uh, emphasis, presi- emphasis provided here. So. As we study this quarter, we will always need to remember what subject we are dealing with in order to understand best what law is being discussed. That is correct. We need to understand <clears throat> whether we're talking about imposed law or natural law and what lens this is being viewed from. This week's lessons, uh, this week's lesson studies the different different ways that law, different laws that work in the community during the time of Christ in the early church. We'll study these different laws to help us understand God's moral law, quote the Ten Commandments. Um, okay, Sunday's lesson, Roman law. The author correctly states that Rome's legal system uh, is used as a model for many, many modern legal systems. Um, and my first thought was, why, why do societies need legal systems? Why do, why do governments uh, impose laws on their, their citizens? Well, we, we value the rule of law because it brings order. Yeah. And if you look at societies that value the rule of law, they tend to be more successful. Yes. It doesn't mean there's a, a moral basis for it. It just works. Okay, but you know, I'm trying to get back to the root of why why laws are even needed to be imposed in the first place. I mean, you're, you're correct that, that you know, uh, lawless, uh, I mean, lawless societies generally, generally unsuc- unsuccessful. Why, why are laws instituted, Carla? Well, because we, we are a broken planet, and, and we're, not under, we're not operating under natural law the way we should be anymore. I mean, even though, even though natural law is always in effect, and it will have its consequences of of not complying mm-hmm. still that might be it takes a little bit longer to realize that and so sometimes we need a stopgap measure okay good <laughs> things in order for well, I like where you, I like where you're going with this yes the uh, back the, the way I'm thinking about it is like the Trinity with uh, God the Father Son and the Holy Spirit they were selfless. God looked after Jesus, thought more of Jesus and the Holy Spirit than he did himself. He looked, Jesus in turn 
was selfless too. So and and so was the Holy Spirit. They all were selfless to each other. They didn't need a law. It was the law of about the other persons. Okay. Uh, another valuable insight. So, uh, yes? When we talk about the law, it, it, it's such an all-encompassing word. It means so many different things. Mm-hmm. The law of physiology. Yes. We don't even think of them as laws. We think of them as... This is the way it works. If we do this, we're going to get this kind of result. We're going to see the physician. He knows how the system works. And if, you know, there's so many words that come to your mind when you think of law. Most of the time, we think of breaking something, a rule. And uh, I, I, I don't think in, you know, would you know what it was like in heaven, but perhaps... That they were not even aware of a rule because it wasn't a problem, and and when when everything is in unison and everything's working great, we don't have the need for rules and regulations. Uh, this country was when it, when the people came to this country to to uh, start something new, they started to make rules and regulations about where they should go, what they can do, how do they treat the people here, all these rules. And, and it just seems though um, we can't function unless we have a rule. And, and we have governments that make a gazillion rules. And, and we can't even, we don't even know what most of them are. So when we use the term law, what in the world is the law? Most, uh, you know, when I think of a law, I think of, yeah, yeah, I'm breaking it, I went through a red light. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, That's what comes to mind, but then we're we're talking about theology, and and it has a different meaning. Now we've got a lot of little things. Can we do this? If I do that, am I going to be in trouble? Am I going to be seen doing this? You know, uh, uh, that, that kind of troubles me. We're, we're so uptight about a rule uh, that we don't necessarily do the right thing for the right reason. Well, again, I think this is a good contrast between natural law and imposed law. <clears throat> to Carla's point uh, as to why societies um, impose laws on citizens in the first place, we are broken. We are unable to self-govern the vast majority of us are unable to self-govern. This gentleman's point regarding the Trinity, the Trinity self-govern. They govern, you know, God's in control of himself. He governs himself. And in doing so, he looks out for the best interests of his creation and and his equals and the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus, the being we know Jesus of Nazareth. So, one moment. And the need, the need for <clears throat> imposed laws, they are a stopgap measure. They are a measure, a necessity at a certain point of time for the betterment of society and for hopefully for leading us to the point where we don't need imposed law. We're going to get into some examples of how the Ten Commandments fit into that, um, into that uh, paradigm. Yes. Look at Romans uh, 13, 
what we did a few weeks ago. It, it talks about the governing authorities were instituted for those who do evil, not for those who do good. Right, exactly. The question directly, you know. Yes. That's the reason for law. Beside you. The commandments, the moral law God gave us because he loves us. They're love, and, and we look at it like commanded to do, but they're love, and, and to him that's what it is. And that's the golden rule, what it should be for us. Uh, I agree. They are a revelation of uh, his love. Uh, we're going to get into that uh, <clears throat> in uh, later lessons. Uh, the last paragraph in Sunday's lesson says, Many things taking place in the New Testament, from the death of Jesus to the imprisonment of Paul, make much better sense when we understand whatever we can about the environment of their times. How does our knowledge of Roman law help us make the sense help us make sense of the death of Jesus? Or does it? Does Christ's death make any more sense as we understand what we do do of Roman law? To me only the method of his death. Crucifixion was Roman. Okay. Good. Who who was it that demanded the death of Christ? The Jews. Jews. The Jews, specifically the church leadership. And they demanded that Rome do it in their method. Well they demand yes, they they demanded the methodology and, and they couldn't you know, because they were a vassal state, they couldn't uh you know, execute those who they thought deserved execution without Roman permission. Um when confronted with uh their choice of, you know, life or death, Jesus or Barabbas, what was their response? Give us Barabbas and may his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children. It seems to me, if I'm remembering things correctly, Pilate found no guilt That's right. according to Roman law in Jesus. Correct. It's more of a political in in terms of of keeping himself in power politically and not and avoiding the unrest with the Jews. So legally, in the sense of your of your first question, there was no law that. Christ that that's right, and that and that was my question. How, how does you know if Pilate found no I found no guilt in this man? I see no reason for him to be crucified. So according to Roman law, it actually makes less sense that Christ was crucified. But that highlights the spirit that was at work there. Yes, it does. The Jews demanded that the Son of God be killed. Correct. And then... That you could say, though, in answer to your question, does Roman law help us understand Christ's death better? When you said that Roman law doesn't explain it, it still helps us understand the whole process by which Christ died. The whole driving force behind Christ's death. Which was yes. not the Roman law. Correct. Correct. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I suspect, and, and I don't I don't know this for certain, but I suspect that um, the author is attempting to tie, um, you know, the execution of Christ into, you know, he's attempting to suggest that God executed his son. And I'm putting words in his mouth. I don't know that for certain. Uh, but <clears throat> based on based on what I've read so far in the lesson, uh, that uh, I would hold uh, water. What does Christ's death show us about imposed law? Does it tell us anything about imposed law? <laughs> yeah, imposed law is not always 
It's not always for the benefit of society, is it? It's flawed. It is flawed. Why? Because flawed human beings write imposed laws. Exactly. Right. And they enforce imposed laws. Monday's lesson. Mosaic law. The civic uh, portion of the Mosaic law. In the second paragraph, uh, when God originally gave the laws to Moses, he envisioned a state where he would be the head and the people would enforce his legal mandates. Is that what God envisioned for Israel? No. <laughs> oh, of course not. I hope not. In the short term? Kathy asked if that's what he envisioned in the short term. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't even get my head around it even being the short term. I really think that his view from the beginning was that Israel reveal his character to the rest of the world in the short and long term. I mean, it's what he's been trying to do. It's what he's been trying to do since Adam and Eve fell. He's been trying to win mankind back to trust. He's been trying to reveal himself. He's trying to be trying to break through the lies and break through this broken circle uh, of of love and trust that uh, that our misunderstanding about his nature and character have developed. I completely agree with that. But do you not think that God possibly recognized right from the get-go that they were not capable, fresh out of Egypt, of doing that? Well, I think he knew from just before creation they weren't capable of doing it. And he knew they wouldn't. He knew that's why... That's why you know, Revelation describes the Lamb as the Lamb slain before the you know from the foundation of the earth. God God knew all along that they would fail in their mission. Specifically in this situation, He knew coming fresh out of Egypt that there was no way that they could example to the world. <laughs> sure, and that's why that's why He gave them. Uh, that's why He thundered from Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments. We're going to read an interesting quote on that as well. Uh, there was a hand over here. I was just going to say, <clears throat> God tells us his ideal in that he talks about writing his law in our hearts. Mm-hmm. So we, we know what his first choice is, um, and I don't have the lesson book to, to look at the context, but it's just kind of dangerous to say something like that, even if, even if the thought is to say it was an emergency measure, without connecting those dots to what God's ideal is. Right. And I think God makes that clear what his ideal is in terms of his people and what we call his law. Yeah, I mean, I... Set apart and written down. Yeah, I, I, I completely and vehemently and I hope respectfully disagree with the statement that he, he wanted people to enforce his legal mandates. I mean, that, that brings about... That brings about the idea of, you know, a coercive pressure, and coercion is not found in God's government. Right. You know, if it's a natural law, like like I believe it is, then the law doesn't need enforcement. <laughs> the, the, the deviations from the law provide their own their own enforcement. You know, you, you smoke three packs a day of cigarettes while you're a coal miner, <laughs> it, you don't. You don't need enforcement. The lung cancer provides its own enforcement. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. In fact, 
the opposed law was when Satan first started talking to uh, Eve in the garden. And he implied an opposed law. Uh, elaborate. Elaborate for me. I'm, I'm not following that. Meaning, he said, didn't God tell you to do certain things? He don't want you to. It was like, you're supposed to do it. You have to do this because it's God's law. Because he don't want you to know the difference in evil and truth. He don't, or good and evil. See, so he was implying that God was doing this and keeping things from you rather than it being a free, rather than giving you a free choice. Okay. Arbitrary rules. Right. right. All right. Yeah. Thank you. That's nice. How did Jesus deal with the Mosaic law uh, on paying taxes or stoning the adulteress or... Um, you know, widows marrying their brother-in-laws. Um, you know, what what did he um, did he comply with the imposed laws of the time, or did he try to reveal something else? the The lesson invites us to read um, Matthew twenty five fifty nine through sixty one, Hebrews ten twenty eight, Deuteronomy seventeen two through six, which basically tell us that someone could be stoned to death on. Uh, the testimony of two or more witnesses. And uh, the lesson then asks us, what does this tell us about biblical concepts of justice and fairness? They weren't fair in Jesus' situation because they could get false witnesses. Yeah, and that, that's the Matthew text. They, they had two, two uh, witnesses you know, come up and claim that he, he said he would tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days. Well, he did say that, didn't he? So I guess they weren't false witnesses. The the church leadership misunderstood what Temple he was talking about. It's so easy for us as sinful humans to have that kind of an imposed law and find ourselves standing on the side of judging. Mm-hmm. And I think Christ came to help us understand that, wait a minute, see, see the problem that the law is diagnosing and come to me to fix that problem. Right. I mean... Christ was, you know, Christ was the same one that in, in the expansion of the Ten Commandments said, you know, if, if people are caught, two people are caught in adultery, take them out and stone them. Take them out from the camp and stone them. And yet when he was here on earth, they brought the woman caught in adultery. And what did he do? Where, where, where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, <clears throat> why the contrast? Well, what, 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 what are we to, what are we to take away from this, Mike? I think Jesus uh, was pushing back against the Jewish theocracy. Oh, absolutely. You know, today we can look back through history and see that theocracies are bad. Mm-hmm. The Christian theocracy in Europe for a thousand years was bad. Islamic theocracy is bad. So I think we have to be careful when we read the Old Testament because the Jewish form of government in the Old Testament was a theocracy. Right. And so when you interpret what was going on, if you don't remember that, uh, it can cause you the wrong conclusions. Absolutely. The wrong yeah, in fact, it can cause you to want to murder God himself when he comes and, and, and preaches in your temple. Carla. It also shows us, though, that God was dealing with with wild people. And he mm-hmm. was taking them one step at a time. That's right. You can't just take people from where they were at to where Jesus is at. Jesus is showing to us the ideal of what God's government looks like. Mm-hmm. But... 
he's having to work with people in the Old Testament who were in slavery and all kinds of darkness and and used arbitrary measures for everything. Yep. That's all they knew. Yep. And so he he just there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that's just like okay, this is how they do it. Let's just move them along one little step better. Yeah. You know, it's a step up. Even when Christ was on earth, you know, he tells his disciples, "There's so much I want to tell you, but you're not ready to receive it yet." And then how many of us today? have grown beyond an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a bruise for a bruise, and a life for a life. Okay, we still we still want that. We still demand it. And this is, you know, this is one of the the early baby steps that uh, Christ is taking his children from, uh, from savagery onto better things. And, and we have, many of us haven't grown beyond that. Yes, ma'am. He told them that they taught for commandments the traditions of men. That's right. He came and wanted to lead them the right way. That's right. That's well said. So let's get back to this concept, uh, this idea that you know these texts, uh, what do they tell us about justice and fairness? Uh, I referenced several other texts. <clears throat> tell me what you think about what this says about justice and fairness. Psalm 72.4. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy, and he will break the oppressor. That sounds like that sounds like some good justice. Psalms eighty-two, three: Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Isaiah forty-one, two and three: Behold, my servant. This is prophetic, um, and also this one and then this one was uh, requoted by Christ Himself. Behold, my servant whom I, uh, uh, whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I will have my spirit put upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking wick he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. I'm connecting some dots here. Zechariah 7.9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. What do these tell us about the biblical concepts of justice and fairness? Help to heal things that aren't right in the world. Justice isn't revenge, it's restoration. Justice is not revenge. Justice is restoration. Justice is healing. Well said. In the pink section, or green section, I don't know what color it is in your lesson, uh, bottom of Monday's lesson references Deuteronomy 21. For examples of some of God's laws, and, quote, considering who the author of these laws, what should this tell us about how we must learn to trust the Lord in all things, especially those things we don't fully understand? Deuteronomy 21 or some of the less well-known examples of Mosaic law. Some of the things about, um, you know, not wearing mixed... Uh, not wearing a cloth with mixed fibers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So how are we to flesh this out? How, how are we to take things like that and extrapolate it to, you know, we should, we should blindly trust the Lord because he said it and that settles it. I mean, it sounds like that's what the author of the lesson is suggesting, that, you know, God settled it. I heard it. I believe it. And that settles it. Is that is that the state that the Israelites were at when they came when they came out of slavery? 
do they have such a firm knowledge of God that they they could they could trust what he told them and say, well nope can't wear can't wear a cloak with linen and and cotton mixed because God said it or was God dealing with infants spiritual infants I've been reading through the Old Testament this year and it's hard for me to believe that God came to Moses and imposed all of these hard and fast rules against Moses, the group of the children of Israel. Any comments on that? Why is it different? Because it said God came to Moses and said, do this, do that, do the other. And I don't know what Moses was kind of taking it upon himself. (laughs) It was an emergency measure that God had to use. I know he's dealing with a bunch of rebels. I know there were things that when we were raising our children, the best example I could think of very quickly is there were certain things that I that we said to our daughter about dress and fashion mm-hmm. that were specifically related to our culture. That if she would have done certain things with fashion, that that you couldn't say were morally wrong in a broad context would be morally wrong in the culture that she lives. Mm-hmm. Would have made, would have been pertinent because of her culture. I think there were things that God told them and, and working with them that were specifically pertinent because of their culture. Were they pertinent? Extremely so. Were the things that we told our daughter pertinent, extremely so. But on the big scheme of things, it, it was driven by understanding her culture. Yeah, and it was driven, you know, on your parts, on a love for the child and wanting to seek the best interests of that child. But as she got older, you want her to understand the principle yes. not live within just this very limited cultural perspective. Right. You know, not to just abide by the rule because mom and dad said it's a rule. Absolutely. Okay, consider this quote. This is a loaded quote. We've heard it in here before, but it, I think it pays to hear it again because it's 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 very it's, it's significant to get your minds wrapped around this. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 364. If man had kept the law of God as given to Adam after his fall, preserved by Noah and observed by Abraham, there would have been no necessity for the ordinance of circumcision. Are you with me so far? And it kept the law of God given to Adam, kept by Noah, observed by Abraham. No need for circumcision, the ordinance of circumcision. And if the descendants of Abraham had kept the covenant of which circumcision was a sign, they would never have been seduced into idolatry, nor would it have been necessary for them to suffer a life of bondage in Egypt. You with me so far? They would have kept God's law in mind, and there would have been no no necessity for it to be be proclaimed from Sinai or engraved in the tablets of stone. 150 years ago, this woman is telling us that there if man had kept God's law and knowledge of God in mind, there would have been no need for the Ten Commandments. And had the people practiced the principles of the Ten Commandments, there would have been no need of the additional directions given by Moses. 
So the, t- the Ten Commandments were third. I mean, this gives any perspective. The Ten Commandments were third in line in in in, the, in a big picture of God attempting to win mankind back to trust and back to relationship and back to knowledge of Him. And you say, okay, all right, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Adam the knowledge of me and I'll pass it down through Seth, Enoch, Methuselah, Noah, etc., Abraham. And, oh, well, nope, they've forgotten. All right, we need to make a covenant with Abraham and signify it by removal of the foreskin. And, now, nope, nope, that didn't work. So now they're in, now they're in bondage and slavery in Egypt. All right, I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them a synopsis. I'm going to, I'm going to write it down on a sticky and put it on their fridge. I'm going to put it in stone. I'm going to make it as succinct as I can. Here are ten. Here are ten things that that are pretty good encapsulation. Oh well, no, now they're they're having an orgy in front of a golden calf. We need to we need to broaden it <laughs> to six hundred and something. I think the lesson suggests there were six hundred and some uh, additional um, details given by God to Moses, known as the Mosaic Law. Still God's law, but it it was given uh, through the medium of Moses, and it still didn't work. <laughs> so he said, "Okay, I'll come in person. I'll come in in the in the person of Jesus, and and maybe maybe that will maybe that will get their attention. Maybe that will that will reveal to mankind, you know, once and for all, my character, my nature, et cetera, et cetera. No, well, they killed him." What is it? What is it? Just give us some. I mean, are we going to worship the Ten Commandments? Are we going to worship their author? Graham Maxwell always says that God had to give the Ten Commandments as an emergency measure to get the attention of his misbehaving children. That's what he always says. Sure. I mean, I, absolutely. Parents, you, you guys have stopgap measures for your children. If they're, if they're heading for a cliff. You uh, may use some harsh language to get their attention. Okay. Any uh, any other thoughts before we move on? Just one. Yes. Of course, none of that took God by surprise. What you no. Said. No. And, and yet, he carried through because he wanted to demonstrate love. his love and his methods mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. so we could hopefully look back and say, wow, what extent he would go to to meet us and bring us and through those baby steps to him. Yeah, I thank you. Yeah, that's well said. I'm going to skip over Tuesday's lesson. Tuesday's lesson is about Mosaic Law, the ceremonial portion. Um, we covered this extensively in the fourth quarter of 2013. I'll encourage you to, in, in, which is entitled The Sanctuary. Um, there's some there's some great insights uh, in those lessons on um, this symbology of the ceremonial law, the sanctuary service, the sacrifice, the holy place, most holy place, the two different altars, the horns, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the relationship of the blood to all of that. So I would encourage you to uh, go online at our website, commonreason.com, and and review that. Let's get a bit to Wednesday's lesson, the rabbinic law, the law 
additional laws that the Jewish rabbis, also known as the church leadership, uh, interpreted from the Mosaic law. Um, and we let's let's flesh out some things. How did Christ deal with the church leadership of his time? I would first refer you to Matthew uh, twenty-three. It depended on their heart. Yes, it did. Some of the church leadership were open to that. That's correct. Most, however, were not. Um, do we experience any of that today, or have we grown beyond that? So how did Christ deal with the leadership? What were some of the things he told them? They were a brood of vipers. <laughs> I, I, that was actually John the Baptist, I think. But, but you know, touche. Yes. Right. You're, you're empty, whitewashed tombs. Um, and you find a... You, Travel the world to find a convert, and when you find him, you make him twice the son of hell. Um, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those uh, who are entering to go in with you. You devour widows' houses and or pretense and make a long prayer. Uh, you travel the sea. Yep, we got that. What do you blind guides? Say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple... He is obliged to perform it. Um, now he goes on. I mean, it just Matthew twenty-three, you know, verses uh, one through thirty-six. It just he really. Um, oh nope, my mistake. Thirty-five serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? So uh, Christ uh, said, called them a brood of vipers as well. Any lessons for us in how he dealt with the church leadership? He told them to observe and, and observe what they said, but not to follow their works because they wanted to be seen in the marketplace and everything. They weren't humble like he wanted us to be. You mean he told the people to observe the Pharisees? Yeah, he, he said, you know, watch, watch what they do, not what they said, no, listen to what they say. But also how he dealt with them is he wanted to save them. He did. Yes. He absolutely did. And, you know, he tried in parables. He tried uh, one-on-one. He tried, he tried everything. And when that didn't work, he got in their face. He, he, he tried everything to, to kind of wake them out of their stupor and to... Um, yeah, but he, but he revealed the truth, and he, but he, you know, ultimately he did it in love. Uh, yes, comment from the back. He did try to teach them when he was twelve. He yes. tried to have a reasonable conversation with them. Right. Yeah. He he did teach them. They were amazed. You know, the twelve-year-old was teaching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, another hand. Yes. I've wondered if it's also kind of a twofold demonstration. First of all presenting it in, to, the, to the Pharisees in a way that they needed to, to hear him, mm-hmm. but also as a demonstration to the people to maybe break some of this awe that they had of the Pharisees, that it would, would take that level of, of confrontation to break their, mm-hmm. to start getting them to think for themselves. Right. Yeah, well said. Is there any need of that today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
I'll use broad Christianity, is is there a problem in, in all of Christianity today that needs to be confronted? There's more than one. I, I want to suggest that the fundamental problem is the uh, imposed law construct that has infected uh, most of Christianity, and sadly much of Adventism. Yes? Somebody mentioned the principles behind each one of these laws. Whether it be 28 or 10 or whatever, mm-hmm. the principles behind all the laws of God is love. The principle of love. That is the key on any law. What's the principle behind it? If it's love, that's where it's from. Uh, that's a great segue to Thursday's lesson. I think I may run out before time does. Maybe a first. Uh, Thursday's lesson, the moral law. Going back to the memory text uh, from Sabbath lesson four, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law, the law unto themselves. Please keep this in mind. My question is, is there any, quote, moral law in heaven? Not as opposed to anything else. What did she say? What did she say? She said not as opposed to anything else. (laughs) Elaborate, please. It's just life. Okay. It's like what you were saying at the very beginning. It's like it's, it's life. Know it's there. It's life, and it's life because that's the way life was created to operate. It's life because that's how it was designed. Okay. Maybe they have a museum with a copy of what we have just to show what happens. <laughs> I, they're watching it with intense interest. Um, this is this is from. Uh, a book that's quoted in Thursday's lesson, uh, The Ten Commandments, Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible. Uh, the Ten Commandments provided Israel with a moral framework for maintaining it, uh, parenthetically, their relationship with God. The metaphor the Bible uses to express this relationship is covenant. While the metaphor comes from the sphere of international law, it is wrong to understand the commandments merely as a summary of Israel's obligations toward God. Israel's obedience to the commandments was not a matter of submission to the divine will as much as it was a response to love. I think this is an interesting take on things, especially that last sentence. It's almost like the author is suggesting that if one allows the love of God to transform them, then they will resemble the Ten Commandments. Don't, um, any thoughts on this? Tim, Tim likes to Tim likes to refer, and I I like this. Tim likes to refer to the Ten Commandments as a a um, diagnostic tool. In addition, uh, he refers to it as a um, Ten Promises. You know, this is what you're going to look like when you're well. Um, when one of one of my dear friends has been dealing with um, uh, some cancer issues. And they have done loads of MRIs on her. And they originally diagnosed the cancer with an MRI. She had surgery to correct it, metastasized to her liver. More MRIs and CT scans. Found cancer in the liver, surgically removed it. Continued MRIs now show that she's... She's well. 
why 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 don't the, why can't the Ten Commandments function like that? They're a diagnostic image. They're a diagnostic instrument to detect uh, how we're sick. But when we're no longer sick, we look at the, we look at the, we take an MRI. Hey, you're you're well. Great, thanks, Doc. It was necessary to make it well. I want to close with this. Don't forget what Christ said when he was asked, "What is the greatest commandment?" What what he what he say? You guys can quote it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, and all your soul. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this last this last part is fantastic. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Those three verses right there, I think, should eliminate uh, any imposed law construct from our brain, from our minds. All the law that was given at Sinai, additional, additional mosaic laws, et cetera, et cetera, are a revelation of God's love, a revelation of Him meeting His children where they were at a time when they needed to be met, and intervening to reveal Himself and to slow down the tide of sin uh, and that has been his, that's been his goal from from the time that from the minute that uh, Adam and Eve fell he's been trying to slow down the tide of sin and trying to reveal himself and win mankind back to love and trust ultimately he needed to come in person to do it any thoughts before we close love is the fulfillment of the law love is the fulfillment of the law well said. All right. Well, let's bow our heads. We're going to wrap up a little early. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the revelations of your law as exhibited in Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. And he tried to break through the um, church leadership's misunderstanding of those laws. And we find ourselves struggling with those same things today. Please give us wisdom and tact and discernment. Uh, to accomplish that mission so we can hasten your return. In Jesus' name, amen.